And that Saul, who was putting Christians in prison in Acts chapter 9, later became a prisoner himself for his faith in Christ. He who had been attacking people in hatred and anger now preached a message of love. And therefore, that is an evidence of the power of the gospel to change our lives too. With joy, then, listen to what Paul wrote from his prison cell in his message of love through the gospel of Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, it's found on page 1161 in your pew Bibles. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, <laughs> urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. I don't know if they do this at every church, but I love the tradition of our readers commenting on the scripture they're reading. That's just something I've always enjoyed about grace and peace and hope that, hope that continues. I love that. 
Thank you. <clears throat> well, good morning. This morning we're um, uh, beginning a, this is kind of a preface to a new short series that we're going to do on drawing near. And um, we're going to look at this passage, uh, kind of an overview of this passage, which really can be uh, divided up into about four weeks of sermons. But this is kind of an overview of what the Lord is calling us to. And next week we're going to have, George is going to preach on drawing near through prayer, and then we'll have other, another series of sermons through drawing near to the Lord, through the word, through worship, through fellowship, and drawing near to one another. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for the readers. I thank you for your people, your church, that we gather, we worship you, we, re we read your word, we all have roles, Lord, in worship, and I thank you that you have gathered your body together for this purpose. Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see the riches of your glorious inheritance the blessings of your spirit which we have received from you and by the victory that Christ has won when he ascended into heaven and gave victory over death. Thank you for those gifts. Thank you for those blessings. And may we appropriate them. May we use them mightily in the ways that you have intended for us to. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. In June of 1951, Francis Schaeffer, who some of you had the privilege of knowing and, and even being discipled by, and uh, many of us younger ones got to read from uh, a lot of his works or hear sermons from him recorded. But um, Francis Schaeffer in 1951 wrote a, what he considered one of his most significant articles called The Secret of Power and the Enjoyment of the Lord. And it starts off, what is the secret of power? Certainly, as we consider Christianity today, true, Bible-believing Christianity, we must be impressed by the fact that there is not the consistent power that there has been in certain periods of the past. The same thing is also true of the enjoyment of the Lord. In our day, life is such that while Christians do many things to serve the Lord, it is obvious from our faces and our conversations that few actually enjoy him. These faults tend to be equally true for us as individual Christians and for the Christian organizations in which we belong. Now, this article was coming out of Schaefer's own spiritual crisis. He wrote this right after he had this spiritual crisis of his own where he was caused to go back to what he called his agnostic roots and deconstruct his faith. You hear a lot about deconstructing things this uh, now, and, and, and a, lot of, a lot of people are, are feeling they need to deconstruct their faith. Schaefer went through a time where he de deconstructed his faith to see if it would stand up, to see if what he believed all this time was true. But this crisis of faith came as a result of what Schaefer was observing in his church, divisions, Lack of Christian love, lack of Christian maturity, all these things he was experiencing in his church, his denomination, and even he confessed in himself. He wasn't seeing the gospel bearing fruit, and he wasn't seeing the gospel bearing power that he thought it should bear. 
But this spiritual problem Schaefer experienced is not a problem only of the past, is it? His article, actually, written in 1951, could have been written today. Looking at the article, if you read the whole thing, it applies very much to where we are today. It's very relevant because the same problem exists in our American Christian churches. And as we have learned from our own observations, a growing church, one that seems to be growing, one that seems to be thriving, does not necessarily indicate that a healthier, spiritually mature church is actually, or I'm sorry, a, a growing church is not indicate that it's actually a healthy church. It doesn't indicate that it's actually a spiritually mature church. We've seen too much of that, haven't we? Many of us have heard the podcast of the rise and fall of Mars Hill. We've seen numerous articles, blog posts on churches that have failed, churches that were strong, that looked, that appeared strong from the outside that looked like they had all the elements of a growing and thriving church, but inside were full of scandal, were full of abuse, were full of problems, and were full of a lack of Christian maturity. There seems to be a lack of power and enjoyment of God in the church. Are you satisfied with the power and the enjoyment of the Lord in your own life? How is your spiritual growth? How is your growth in Christ? How would you rate it? How would you rate your maturity in Christ over the years? Perhaps it's that we've actually settled for mediocrity. Perhaps we've gotten to a certain level of maturity in our walk with Christ and we've stopped our growth or we've slowed it or we just become satisfied and complacent with where we are in Christ because we're just okay. How would you say our church is? Don't answer that right now, but just think. How do you feel grace and peace is in our spiritual maturity, in our spiritual growth as a body? Well, if you're thinking maybe not great, we're in good company. Unfortunately, churches all over are struggling with this. The author of Hebrews and the Apostle Paul were dealing with it with their churches. The lack of spiritual growth, the trouble with divisions. In Hebrews, back a few months ago, we read in chapter 5 of Hebrews, the author said this, About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. He's saying you're you're not spiritually mature as you ought to be. You had stunted growth. 1 Corinthians 3, Paul tells the Corinthian church, he says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? The division that Paul was witnessing, the, 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 the fleshly acts that the, that the Corinthian church were taking part in was evidence of their spiritual immaturity. 
As with the Hebrews and the Corinthians, spiritual immaturity was also a problem with the Ephesian church. It was something that Paul was encouraging the Ephesians to grow in their maturity in Christ, but they were dealing with problems also. They were dealing with the whole fact that he's calling them to unity is evidence that they were struggling with their unity. They were struggling with one another. The body of Christ is made up of a bunch of different people with a bunch of different personalities, and we're going to have difficulties at times. I actually think Grace and Peace does a pretty great job getting along. But there's still times where we have to examine how are we doing in our growth in Christ. See, this Ephesian church, and by the way, the, the letter to the Ephesians, in some of the older manuscripts, it's the, the word Ephesus is not even used. And it's believed that this is possibly a circular letter that went to the churches in the area of Asia Minor. So whether it was the Ephesian church or the churches surrounding, this was a problem the problem of disunity. And it was a church, the, the Ephesian church, and a lot of these churches were mainly churches of Gentiles or non-Jewish believers in Christ. But they were sharing similar struggles, divisions, false teachings, stagnant growth, and the rest of the problems that the first century church was dealing with. But Paul is calling them to not settle, to not be complacent, to not settle for mediocrity, but, per, to, but to strive for something greater, to grow in Christ. And he does this because they have something greater dwelling within them. If you read the book of Ephesians, the whole first three chapters is about the riches of God's glorious inheritance that the saints have received through the resurrection of Christ. Paul reminds them that there is something greater that there is something greater that you have, and sometimes we need to be reminded of that. The Ephesians, like us, need to be reminded of their status and power in Christ and admonished to live in a manner worthy of the calling to which Christ had called them so that they and now we might, be, might bear witness of Christ's gospel to the world, to our community around us. A few years ago, an elderly couple was found dead in their Los Angeles apartment. Investigators later determined that they died of malnutrition. Now the interesting thing though was that the investigators also found a few paper bags full of cash that was worth nearly $40,000 in cash, and yet they died of malnutrition. They had the means to have a feast they had the money to purchase enough food to have a feast and to feed those in their apartment complex, to share with others. And yet they neglected the riches that they had hidden away and died of starvation. And that's what Paul starts off this whole letter to remind them. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has granted us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. In him you were chosen. You were dead in your trespasses, he reminds him, but now you have been saved by grace through faith. And you, not only that, you've been seated with Christ. You are seated spiritually with Christ in the heavenly places. You have a place with Christ, he's saying. 
and he prays that they would get to know the love he uses in love about six or seven times in this letter to say that you would get to know the prayer was to get to know the love that goes beyond our understanding the love of God that you may know that and then he starts off chapter 4 with an admonition with now saying with all of these riches that you have now here's what you're called to do and he gives them three things here he gives them a call to unity he gives them the means of that call for unity and he gives them a glorious vision of that unity so this call to unity says I therefore prisoner of the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you have been called worthy of those riches that you have received with all humility and gentleness with patience bearing with one another in love how easy do you think that is for us to do we can read over that pretty easily I think George put some good uh, emphasis on those words because they're difficult words with all humility with gentleness with patience forbearing hanging in there with one another with the difficult people with the people who are who don't like us with the people who are harsh hanging in there with them eager diligent making every effort some translations say to maintain this unity of the spirit that we already have in Christ but to maintain it in the bond of peace this is a message not for you the individual not for me as an individual this is a message for the entire body this is a message for us how we image Christ as the body of Christ the call to unity implies that this is a, a, to, to the whole corporate body. And it's also the nature of the call is, demonstrates that they were struggling with this in the first place. Just like we all do. The more people we get in this church, the harder it is to have a united church. But what Paul's calling us to is the more we have to depend on Christ our head so then he goes on to show the call of this unity is based on the oneness of God you see these seven ones here in in verse 4 there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call one Lord one faith one baptism one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all unity is the nature of God unity is the nature of the Trinity oneness is the nature of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit and they image that perfectly they are the example that we are to follow. They are the example that demonstrate perfect unity. And it's natural to expect that the church would follow that example. But we're not to do that by our own power because we know how that would go. But we're to rely on Christ and the gifts he's bestowed. So this is the means of the unity of the spirit that he's called us to. The means are the gifts of Christ. But grace was given to each one of us. Each one of us has received that grace of Christ according to the measure of his gift. 
Therefore, it says, it quotes Psalm 68, when he ascended on high, he led, he led a host of captives. This is an image of a victorious parade, bringing the captives and bringing the gifts. And he gave gifts to men and saying he ascended, what does it mean? But he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He died and went into the earth. He who descended is one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. He gave, those, some of those gifts are the leaders of the church. Christ's victory in the, res, in the resurrection provided us with the gifts to equip us for this unity. Goes on to say the purpose of these gifts, the purpose of the leaders that were given to the church and the gifts that were bestowed on men were for the purpose to equip us. To equip us, why? For the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. We're to use our gifts that Christ has given us for one another. The gifts that Christ has given us is for the body of Christ, to build up the body of Christ and to glorify the body of Christ. Now, Paul talks about this in detail in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This building up is to be done in a harmonized working of the body. He says this in chapter 12. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. All of these gifts of the Spirit are given to each one of us for the common good of building up the body. Verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. We're all dependent on Christ for our gifts. And he goes on with what I find the most interesting part of this passage. He gives a vision that seems almost unattainable. Well, it does seem unattainable, doesn't it? Let's look at this vision that he gives. But before we do, think about anything that you have pursued. Perhaps you, you went on a particular health plan. Perhaps you decided to build a project, a house, or a, uh, I built a tree house one time and, and, and had to envision what that was going to look like. Perhaps you were going for another career, and before you go for that career, you're envisioning what that career is going to be like, and you're envisioning it at its best, aren't you? And you're striving after that vision. You're striving after what you want. Paul gives us a vision for the unity of the church, the unity of the body of Christ and what this will look like. And he says, for the, to back up a little bit, he says, for the building up of the body of Christ until... Now, that until is a long span of time. We don't know how long that is, but what happens in that until is very important. What you and I do during that until is very important because it's looking ahead to something glorious. He says, until we all, we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, so the, the, the Greek in here is to the complete person or to the complete man, 
to the perfect person, perfected, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. See, the more we become one, the more we as the body of Christ become one, the more we become like Christ. The more the body of Christ begins to look like the actual body of Christ. So that, why are we doing this? What are the results? So that we may no longer be children. We may no longer be spiritually immature. This is the goal, to be spiritually mature, to be spiritually grown up, so that we may no longer be children tossed back and forth, to and fro, by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, not knowing what to believe. By believing the, 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 the next flashy doctrine that comes through because we don't know any better, because we don't have anybody to help us, because we don't have anybody to teach us. By human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, the cult leaders or the ones who want to bring glory to themselves come into the church and want to bring their own doctrines. And there are some that they can pull away. But not when we're in this place when we've attained that spiritual maturity. Because then, he says, we are no longer tossed to and fro by these waves of, of, of all these do doctrine and human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. How would you like to be a church that is unified in its teaching, its philosophy, its vision, and its mission? How, imagine that. What would grace and peace be like? What would our church, what would all the churches in St. Louis, let's say, Don't say, it'll never happen. I didn't say that. I didn't ask that. I said, what would it be like? Imagine the glory of that. Imagine the unity of that. Just imagine it in here. Rather, speaking the truth in love. Here's another result. Here's another part of the vision. We're not just speaking truth, and we're not just loving one another, but we're speaking the truth in love. We are caring for one another like we never have. We're loving each other with the love of Christ and bringing the truth to one another with gentle words, being patient with one another, humble with one another, bearing with one another, and caring for one another as we bring the truth because sometimes the truth is hard to hear and requires a gentle delivery. It's that unity of the Spirit. When we are driven, when we are united by Christ and depending completely upon Him for our life, as our bodies rely on the brain, then this is the vision. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way unto him who is the Christ, who is the head into Christ, to draw near more and more to the head, to draw near more and more to Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly. Can, can you imagine each part in our fellowship working properly? Everybody using their gifts to the fullest, working together, all of us. 
How glorious is that? Each part working properly makes the body so that it builds itself up in love. One more time, in love, he says. The Trinity models this perfectly. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all working in perfect unity. This maturity can only be accomplished by every part of the body doing its part. By doing it together, but by first of all drawing near to the head and submitting ourselves first and foremost to the one who called us to this unity, to Christ Jesus himself. The body, we cannot do it, just as the body cannot function without the head, nor can the church function in this way without depending completely upon the Lord. Charles Hodge says, it would be incongruous, inharmonious, to say we must reach, because you might think, this sounds like something, you know, like, like he's calling us to perfection. Well, it does sound pretty perfect, doesn't it? Hodge says this, it would be incongruous to say we must reach perfection in order to grow. But it's not incongruous to say that perfection is made the goal in order that we may constantly strive after it. See the difference there? You can't say that, that we have to reach perfection in order for us to grow. That's not the thing. But if we're settling for something less, we ought to be striving for something greater to motivate us, to call us to the head, to call us to be the, the church that Christ has called us to. Isaac D'Israeli, there's a quote by him that, that I've seen quite a bit. He says this, it's a wretched taste to be gratified with mediocrity when the excellent lies before us. For us, the excellent that lies before us is the excellent one, the one who called us, the source of our life, the one who, de who defended, who de defeated death. Our call is to strive after him, to draw near to him, that he may be our all in all and that we may be filled to the fullness of him. Remember what Jesus prayed in John 17, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. He's praying for perfected unity. How do you think the unity of Christ and the Father was? He's saying that they may be one, just as you and I are one. That they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, and you and me. That they may become perfectly one. That they may be completely one. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you loved me. Brothers and sisters, don't let this vision, don't rationalize this vision away. This is God's word calling us to something excellent, something beautiful, something glorious, but it's calling us to do that in complete dependence on Christ and in working together with one another through love and patience and forbearance. May we demonstrate this unity and the fullness of Christ to one another 
to our community, and may we thrive as one mature body through him. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Father, help us to love one another well. Help us to be patient with one another, forbearing, humble. Most of all, Lord, help us that we would grow deeper and deeper in our dependence upon you. Thank you. It's in Christ's name. Amen.